You asked and we listened. Today we are answering some of your basic nutrition questions because so many of you reached out and wanted to know things like, what is a plant-based protein? Or are frozen vegetables just as healthy as fresh? How much sugar is okay to have? So on today's episode, we are sharing all of the answers to your burning nutrition questions. Let's get started. Okay, so today we are bringing you a bonus episode where we are answering all of your nutrition questions. Today's podcast topic actually came from a friend and um, one that is, you know, decently well-versed in nutrition. And, And she said, sometimes you dive into the topics and you dive into the nutrition and even as someone who's knowledgeable, I'm still left wondering things like, well, how much added sugar can I have? Yeah, and she's a physician, so, you know, so we figured out from her and from other questions we've gotten that it might be good to do a nutrition primer and just answer some of the top nutrition-related questions that we've gotten. Exactly, exactly. So pull back just a little bit, not go like totally one-on-one, but go at least a little bit more basic so that, I mean, you can listen to this episode completely devoid of listening to any others if you want to, but also it gives you that like background information to some of the other um, topics that we cover. Yeah, to hopefully help you when we cover other topics or in previous topics that we've covered. Okay, well, so I have a question that we got and it's Briarly. You talk about how fiber is your favorite nutrient. How much fiber do you need a day, and do you really get that? Jumping right on in. (laughs) Putting me in the hot seat. Okay, so fiber, as well as some other nutrients, have multiple different recommendations. And, And it's not to confuse someone and say, like, oh, you can pick which value you want, but let me give you some context here, because fiber is a great, a great example. So there's one recommendation that says you should eat 14 grams for every 1,000 calories. That totally makes sense. On a 2,000-calorie diet, you're going to be, you know, you should be aiming for 28 grams. Totally get that. And that, in fact, is the daily value, which is the reference amount that you will see on a nutrition facts panel. So if you look at the grams on a nutrition facts panel and then you scan over to the right, you'll see a percentage. That percentage is based on the recommendation of 28 grams a day. Now, dial down into men and women specifically, and it says 25 grams a day for women, 38 grams a day for men is what's recommended. I'll be honest, I don't count my calories, so I I don't really know... If you're meeting it. If I, I, well, I don't know if I'm meeting it, but I also don't know if I'm... Like if I should really be aiming for 25 or 28. And so I will say that like I aim for 28 every day Mm -hmm. and whether or not I'm getting it, I don't, I don't know, but I usually have about a cup of berries at, you know, every day. So that's going to get me at least anywhere from three to five or even three to eight grams a day, depending on what my fiber is. If I'm mixing, um, I actually switched to oat milk in part because I love it. Does it have some fiber? It has fiber in it. And so that was one of the other reasons, because you know I'm obsessed with fiber, so that. Um, I will say oat milk is the first plant-based milk that I really like. Like, I could totally get rid of cow's milk and drink it's, oat milk. It's delicious. 
I will say my kids still very much cow's milk drinkers. Um, in a dire circumstance, they will use my oat milk in their cereal. In a dire circumstance. That's funny. Okay, so, sorry, back to the fiber. So, in a day, you're kind of going through your day, you eat a cup of berries, that's probably four to eight grams, we think. Mm -hmm. Tell me what else is in your usual day. Uh, So, I'll always, always, always lots of vegetables. Like, dinner is half a plate of vegetables, and that is most commonly in our house. That would be kale. (laughs) Sorry, Carolyn, kale. Again, um, green beans, which surprisingly are really high in fiber um, for, like, a a cup, I'm trying to remember, I might have to go look it up exactly, but a cup puts you anywhere from like back in that six to eight gram mm-hmm. range. Um, broccoli, we eat a lot of broccoli. Um, so yeah. And Do then beans. I I'm not great. I'm not consistent about beans. The other one is I is I usually really aim for either like some type of like whole wheat uh carb, like mm-hmm. a whole wheat bread or um, some type of whole grain. Some type of whole grain. Or like if I eat cereal, I'll – I mean I do eat cereal. My kids eat it a lot more than I do. So like if I happen to have cereal, I mean I'm going to be going for one that had like a, you know, shredded wheat style or something along those lines that is going to is gonna pump up my fiber. Yeah. I would be interested for you to track it to see because you do eat a lot of vegetables. Um, and here's a tip. If we're not – I'm not – big on fiber supplements. Um, but if you feel like you need one, you can take a little, but back to the cereal, you can get a cereal that you like, but maybe it doesn't have as much fiber as you want. You can add a little fiber one. Yes. And fiber one is actually really good. It is really good. Especially when you, I think when you mix it in with something else, Uh because it gives you that crunch, but you're still getting the flavor of the other cereal. I also like to sometimes fold it into like, if I'm making like a quick banana bread, Uh um, it's not as inconspicuous when, if you were to put it in like a quick pumpkin bread, but in a quick banana bread, you can. So I have a major confession. I have actually put some fiber one. This is probably only a dietitian would do this. I've actually put fiber one on ice cream. No. Because I wanted a little crunch. Carolyn. I know, but I know. I mean, no. Like, I, I'm impressed. You know that I'm crunch? And it's got a little sweetness, I guess. And maybe I was hoping it would, like, cancel each other out. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Okay. Just, I needed a little texture. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it'll just, like, take some of that ice mm-hmm. cream right through your system. I'm you know? regret I said that. Yeah. <laughs> um, can we, one thing I want to talk about that you mentioned the percent daily value, and this wasn't a question we got, but I wanted to ask you if there's one thing I never, ever, 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 ever use on the nutrition label, it's the percent daily value. Do you ever really? use it? You know, I use it for some of the, like the, what's micronutrients like for vitamins and minerals um and I use it for fiber sometimes I mean fiber I know grams the other I just don't really I don't really pay attention to it like saturated fat people will talk about and I'm like I just don't pay attention yeah I look at the the actual percentage yeah and I look at the percentages for like vitamin d and iron on there but those are based on the dri so yeah I just I've never really understood the point because also if you aren't consuming 2000 calories, then you could be over or underestimating your intake for sure. But I do think that if you at least know that it's based on 2000 calories and you don't know gram amounts that you should be aiming for every day. And frankly, here's the thing. 
you and I are entrenched in nutrition every single day, and there are set there are set nutrients that I just I remember them in mm-hmm. my brain. There are so many though that I I don't I have to go and look it up. Yeah. Um, and so that's where I feel like sometimes the daily value percentage is helpful if you're like quick quick scan. Well, that kind of leads us into our next um, question, or as we're talking about nutrition labels, one of the big issues with nutrition labels until recently is they never listed the added sugars in food. So we got a question, and it's when you talk about sugar, what type or kind are you talking about? How much is too much? I love this question. I do too. Especially because, okay, so... The thing is, is that when we're talking about sugar, we are typically talking about added sugar. And we try to clarify we're not perfect. And added sugar is exactly as its name implies, everything that you, any type of sugar that you are adding to something. Then, do you get this question? This is the one I get all the time. Well, is honey or maple Mm. syrup healthier for you than white sugar? Or is high fructose corn syrup worse for you than all of the other ones? I They're all added sugars. Correct. And which means we really don't need any of them. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so, for taste, I would like Yeah, some. for taste, yes. I mean, like, yes, I do use, like in a salad dressing, you need sometimes a little bit of honey in there or maple syrup to balance the um, acidity, you know? So a little bit's okay. I mean... Using it in cooking to balance flavors, I'm not talking desserts here, <laughs> right? but using it in cooking to balance flavors, I think is a very good use of an added sugar in the kitchen. Yeah. I mean, it makes the, it, oftentimes it's called for to make, like you said, to balance something out to then, which in theory makes it taste more delicious, which in theory makes you eat it. And especially if it's something healthy, like even, even Dr. Katz, who we've interviewed, like even he is one to always say, like, a little bit of sugar makes the medicine go down. Like, let's not go crazy. But sometimes if that's if that's the only way that you're going to eat a salad is with a little bit of honey mixed into a vinaigrette, please do it. Yeah, I agree. So, so yeah, when we are talking about sugars and we don't drill down and say we're talking about natural sugars or we're talking about added sugars – Assume we're talking about added sugars because if we're talking about a study or something, we will definitely clarify and say, y'all, this included, this meant natural sugars and added sugars. And natural sugars are those natural ones found in foods, like Briarly said. They are what give fruit its sweetness. They're what give milk its little bit of sweetness. Um, Where else do you get it? Um, They're naturally found in... They're in in some vegetables. Yeah. but yeah, yeah, mostly fruits and dairy. Yeah. So there's a big difference between natural and added. Um, so how much is too much when it comes to added sugars? I love this question. Okay. Then this was really helpful to me. Okay. And I'm not going to tell you the less than 10% of your calories because that's not really helpful. I need something like on a daily basis, I can track how many I'm getting or how many my kids are getting. So I really like the American Heart Association's recommendation. Um, the less than 10% of calories is um, part of the dietary guidelines. Dietary guidelines. Thank you. Yeah. Um, dietary guidelines. And that's, if you take like, let's say you're eating 2,000 calories a day, 10% would be 200 calories of added sugar. So mm-hmm. that, that's a good bit of sugar. The American Heart Association provides these guidelines, which I love. For women, 
They say stay, um, don't, don't have more than 24 grams of added sugar, which is equivalent to six teaspoons. For men, they say don't have more than 36 grams, which is equivalent to nine teaspoons. So again, that's women, 24 grams, six teaspoons. Men, 36 grams, nine teaspoons. And to me, this is still a good bit. I'm going to start tracking this every day. I feel like we need to come back and do, uh, here's what we told you. Now we went and we tracked it. (laughs) But for reference, right, like I'm with you. I love American Heart Association recommendations because it is so concrete. So concrete. This is something you can use. You take dietary guidelines and you back, you you know, you do the math. I just quickly did the math while you were talking. And it's about 12 and a half teaspoons a day of added sugar that you can have based on their recommendations. So I, that might give people a little leeway. Yeah. But still, American Heart Association is really based on some solid research on heart health and weight gain. obesity that sort of thing well and I feel like as a female 24 grams that doesn't make me feel like I'm on a restricted diet I have room to have something sweet added sugar wasn't added to the label until recently and I really wish they had done that a long time ago because I think it caused a lot of confusion among consumers about the term sugar yes you know? Yes. Because we've had total sugars on the Nutrition Facts panel for a long right. time. And to me, the total sugars really aren't that helpful unless you're looking, you know, if you're watching carbohydrates or something, because it could be natural and added. I would just look in the ingredient list to see if I saw an added sugar. Um, so I'm really glad added sugars are in there. That's one of the most helpful things I feel like they've added in years. Totally agree. Totally agree. All right, so what was one of the other questions we got? How about are frozen vegetables really just as healthy as fresh, Carolyn? Yes. I I feel like that answer always baffles some people. I know, and I feel like maybe sometimes they don't even trust that answer when we give it to them, but yes, yes. yes. And sometimes they can be a little bit healthier because, especially with like some of your fruits, like your berries and um some of your vegetables, they, so a a fruit or vegetable or anything you pick off a plant typically has the most nutrients right when you pick it. Once you pick it, the nutrient value in it is going to slowly decline. So with frozen, if they get frozen almost immediately, which a lot of people, a lot of farmers will do flash freezing, Mm -hmm. that greatly slows or halts the nutrient loss. Right. And so it's really at its peak right then and there versus it being put on a truck sent to the store and a week later you're eating it right you've had all that nutrient loss now right exactly and and particularly because fruits and vegetables are a great way to get vitamin c for example and vitamin c is one of those that it it is actually um volatile is the word i was Mm -hmm. looking for it's it's volatile and so it will you lose it over time or yeah over time it deteriorates yeah so Yeah. And this is, you know, a good case for why or one of the many reasons why it's good to buy local from your local farmers, because if you're buying fresh. Yes. Because it has will likely have less nutrient loss. Yes. That said. Yeah. Just eat some fruits and vegetables. And frozen is a great way to go. The other thing, too, is if you're if you're any of your produce is about ready to expire and you can freeze it, freeze it. Okay, this is going to sound really stupid, but I never thought about that. Really? Yeah. I feel like I have to be reminded of it. You know, I mean, every, you couldn't like, do your leafy greens, year. but like my yeah. broccoli florets, 
that I thought I'd cook this week and probably aren't going to yeah. be cooked. I never even thought about putting those yeah, you in the freezer. Freeze them. You could like even. I can't believe I've never thought of that. <laughs> Thanks, Briarly. You know, before I came here today, I took um, some bananas. I've been uh, meaning to make banana bread for a week now. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine what these things look like, right, in my kitchen. And because you're coming to my house later, I was like, I got to get rid of these. Of course, now I'm telling you all my secrets. Like, I got to get rid of these. So I just like opened up the freezer. Normally, I'll like peel them and bag them. And I literally opened up the in there. freezer, threw them in, slammed it shut and walked out the door. Yeah. Well, and like if you ever have, if you go pick strawberries in the summer or you have a lot of summer produce that, you know, you just can't eat before it goes bad, especially your berries, you can wash it and let it dry. And then you can um, like put it in a sheet pan or in a pan and let it freeze. Yep. And then you can throw it in a Ziploc or some type of container. Right. And just keep it frozen until you're ready to use it. And then they don't stick together when you freeze them yes. on the pan. That's the sheet why pan. you want to, yeah, give them a little room on a sheet pan so they're not one big glob. Right. Frozen together. Okay. So before we move off of uh, fruits and vegetables, frozen, yes, is just as yes. healthy, if not more healthy in some instances. Mm-hmm. You don't, you won't necessarily know, but. Yeah. I just don't yeah, want people to feel, I feel like people think frozen is second rate. Yes. And they shouldn't feel like that. So don't feel guilty about eating frozen vegetables or cooking them. Exactly. Now, let me ask you, what do you think about canned? So personally, there are only specific vegetables that I like canned. There are some that I just, I just really don't like the taste of it canned, so I don't bother. Same. But um, the big thing when it comes to canned, especially especially with fruit, but is that you need to you need to look and see whether or not it's canned in a syrup for fruit or in a brine for vegetables. And you know there is a time and a place for those in our diets. But also if you if you're eating those regularly, you're getting extra salt and extra sugar well, that you don't need, yeah. and you actually might not even realize that you're doing it. I don't know that there is a time or a place for fruit cocktail and heavy syrup with that one cherry, you know? I, I just don't <laughs> like it. So that's the, like, I just don't like it. Now, my kids went through a phase when they were young where they really liked the um, the canned peaches. Uh-huh. And so when they were, like, young, young, right? Yeah. And when Yeah, they're good because in- they're usually tender, so you can cut them up for little kids and exactly. especially toddlers. Right. And when we lived in Vermont, so they're, like, access to fresh produce – you can still get it in the winter, but you know, they kind of got bored of like the same stuff yeah. over and over. But yeah, like a like a canned pear or a fruit cocktail. Like I personally just don't like it. Now, that said, there are a lot of other options out there now. Like there are a lot of fruits that in, you can yeah. find in, in water or in juice water or in their yeah. juice. I will say though, just this is like a um a labeling thing, is that even when it says no sugar added. Everybody needs to know that that does not necessarily mean that there isn't a sweetener in there. Yes. That means that there is no added sugar, no, no. Added sugar. Added sugars. There may but there be could be. An artificial. Right. Or a, something like stevia or monk fruit. Right. Exactly. So if you're trying to stay away from those, look at the label. Yes. Exactly. Those food marketers are really good at tricking you. Oh, they are good. I mean, I still get tricked. Like every six months or so, I buy something and I don't realize what I like. It was one of those quick through the store. I don't read the ingredient list. Well, it's like I brought you, I brought in those pop chips the other day. I was like, Bradley, you got to try these. They're so good. They're had like, there was 
extra Barbe- protein or yeah, you know, and they know, were barbecue protein. flavor yeah. that didn't have a lot of sugar and, in them. And I was like, I just assumed they were healthy because um, they were pop chips and a great source of protein and fiber. And I'd gone to the store and bought another bag already and was bringing it to our recording. And then I, when I was sitting here, I looked at the back and it had like five grams of added sugar. And I was like, really? And then I thought, well, the barbecue, I guess, has a little sweetness, but I never would have expected five grams. I think that was right. It was either three or five grams, but I was shocked. And I was it, like, it was an amount that like made you pause. Yeah. Yeah. I would expect maybe one for a barbecue flavor. You know, though I have made barbecue sauce from scratch and those re- the recipes really call for a lot of sugar. of sugar. Yeah, I was working on a keto barbecue sauce. Don't ask me why. <laughs> and it's hard. Yeah, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Did you make it keto? Well, I didn't actually make it. I was working on the recipe and yeah. said this might be something to try. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine. That, that would have been a true challenge for me. So. Okay, next one. What's considered a processed meat? This is such a good one Um, because we do. We talk a lot about like red and processed meats get lumped together. So red meat, beef, and lamb, right? Processed meats, it's not just red, right? It's not just um, ham or roast beef or it is those things. But also any processed meat is a little bit of a broader category. I actually looked up the exact definition. Oh, please share. So those are their meats that have been preserved by smoking or salting, curing, or adding chemical preservatives. So those are your deli meats, like the ham and the roast beef, but also the turkey and the chicken mm-hmm. uh, deli meats that you get. They're, you know, bacon, they're, I mean, prosciutto, yes, that would count. Salamis also would count. What do you think, think about uncured bacon? Uh, when we do have bacon, I feel like that's the healthier choice. Okay, so the thing about when it says it's... Oh, no. Oh, no. I wasn't thinking about uncured. I was thinking about when it says no nitrates added. No, I don't... I I think if you're going to get anything, you would get the uncured. I like that. Now I want to look into the uncured some more. I think if it says no nitrates, I think they've just used another curing method. Well, so when it says no nitrates added, Mm -hmm. that is the FDA requires them to use that label because they basically added like celery juice extract as their, because it's a natural source of nitrates. So they used a natural source of nitrates, but the way that the government law is written, they have to put that label no nitrates added, but really it's just a natural form of nitrates that they've infused into the product. You know what? It's, it's a good thing we don't work at the FDA. I mean, they well, we'd be fired. We wouldn't. I was going to say, we yeah. would be fired. They yeah. would never let us stay. But I didn't ever think about that bacon part. I never thought about it. Uncured. When I, in my cookbooks, I, when I do use a little bit of bacon, because, I mean, you can't beat the flavor. I mean, oh, my god. Especially gosh. the flavor that it can add just to certain recipes. I'm not talking about eating a whole slab or anything. But you can also, I think, eat more plant-based by using meat as a condiment. Yes, And bacon I love is that. a great condiment meat. Yes. So I use uncured, thinking it's healthier. So, but, yeah, that's, let's look into that. But I like, I, it never dawned on me. It's a story to pitch. Mm-hmm. Well, and so obviously bacon is a source of salt, added salt. It's also a sneaky source of added sugar, which 
you got to be careful. Some you, are, yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, now some brands are coming out with ones that don't have sugar added to them. Like legitimately do I not really have sugar added. I looked that closely at the added sugar. I'm going to have to. You know what I think is good that has happened once manufacturers were required to put the added sugar? They've been sneaking in added sugars to our products to make us like them because we like a oh, sweet yeah. taste. We get hooked on it. We don't necessarily know there's added sugar in it. But it keeps us buying those products because we like them and our kids like them. Well, now that added sugars are on the label, I feel like a lot of manufacturers know that consumers are looking at the added sugars. And so they're having to reformulate things a little. Yes. Because they don't want to have more added sugars than, you know, their competitor brand. Right. Exactly. Which is good. But, I mean, again, why weren't they on there like 20 years ago? Again, why don't we? This is why we don't work at the FDA. This is food politics. This is also, yeah, why we don't work at the FDA. Okay. Nor would Sorry. we ever be allowed. No, no, I could talk food politics all day, although our um, listeners might fall asleep. Okay, back to our processed meat. So you gave us the definition. A lot of times, red meats and processed meats get grouped together. And I think that is partly some of why red meat has gotten a bad rap. Processed meats, there are definite associations with um, health issues. Mm -hmm. Cancers specifically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think it's fair to lump them together. And a lot of studies will do that. And I think, I mean, yes, you need to limit your intake of red meat. But if you, you can eat lean beef, mm -hmm. and it's a great source of certain B vitamins, of iron, of zinc. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily fair that a lot of studies group them together. I think that's kind of given red meat a little bit of a bad name. Yes. Yes. And also, I mean, it, again, going back to like the different cuts, like you can choose a lean red meat that really isn't compared to some other like fattier cuts of like poultry or pork is not necessarily, sorry, that lean beef could be uh, leaner. Yeah than a fattier cut of poultry or pork. Yeah. I'm actually giving a presentation next week that's talking about um, how beef can be a part of the Mediterranean diet and is. I love that. Yeah. And they've done some studies. And the health benefits, when you take just a Mediterranean and you take a Mediterranean with a certain amount of lean red meat, the health benefits, the benefits you see from following these two types of Mediterranean diets are the same. Sometimes beef is, the one with beef is even a little bit better. Wow. Okay, so on the topic of protein, mm -hmm. since we were just talking about processed meats, one question that we got um, also from a physician friend actually is, what is plant-based protein? Mm -hmm. So plant-based protein is exactly what it sounds like, protein that comes from plants, um, it is a lot of what we were talking about before when we were talking about fiber. It's beans, it's lentils, it's peanuts, uh, it's whole grains, nuts, and seeds are also good sources of plant protein. Of course, there's the tofu, there's the tempeh, the seitan, those kind of, what would you call those, like the protein or the meat replacers that we're familiar with, uh, but also just you can still get plenty of plant-based protein from nuts, from seeds, whole grains, beans, those sort of things. So I thought that was a really good question because I think particularly if you want to eat more plant-based and you're not really into tofu or you don't know what to do with seitan or tempeh, 
or the idea of texturized vegetable protein just sounds weird to you, which I personally love adding a little TVP into some chili, but it sounds weird. It might look weird. Know that you can still eat more plant-based when you lean toward and get protein when you lean into things like beans and lentils, nuts and seeds. Okay, Briarly, here's the next question. What are legumes? Okay, so first of all, I've been using the word legumes a lot lately, and I think that it's a side effect of having read too much nutrition research. I was going to say the exact thing because research studies usually refer to beans as legumes. And so, you know, that I think we've been using that term a lot maybe on here, but... You know, well, I don't use that on a daily basis. I'm not like, let me go eat some legumes. No, no. I'm sure if I said that, my kids would be like, what type <laughs> of new food are you talking about, Mom? Um, but, you know, then there's like lentils, right? So, like, beans and lentils are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's in the legume family? So it's, it's beans, uh-huh. it's peas, it's lentils. Mm-hmm. But, see, then there's this other word that's cropping up. Pulses. Pulses right? And there's there's like a an organization that is out there promoting pulses, Pulses. which I think is wonderful because they're very healthy. Okay. But it kind of, it's another one of those things that just complicates nutrition. You wonder why people are confused. Can you tell me the difference between a legume and a pulse? Well, I thought they were the same. I did too. So then I went and I looked it up when you asked me, because you really, you put me on the spot. So, all right, here's what, here's what Harvard tells us. I'm rolling my eyes. Nobody can see that. A pulse is the edible seed from a legume plant. Okay, but so as an example, a pea pod is a legume, but the pea inside the pod is the pulse. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So just eat them. Ju- yeah. Whatever. Right. In the pod, out of the pod. Exactly. Call them legumes, call, call them, them pulses, call them peas. Call them lentils. Right. Just eat them. Just eat them. Well, plus, down here, there are so many different types of cool, delicious beans that I didn't grow up with. And peas, oh, too, that I didn't grow up with. So I see stuff on menus, and I and I can't help but think, what? Is this a pea? Is this a bean? I never Does it realized- taste like a pea? Does it taste like a bean? What am I going to eat? What's it going to taste like? What color is it when it comes out on my plate? I never realized that was something characteristic of the South. I just assumed every area had kind of their own certain species or hybrids of oh. beans. I mean, I'm sure in the good old days they did, but you definitely, it. I see it. It's much more prevalent here for sure. Yeah. Than it was in the Northeast when I lived in the Northeast. All right, next question. What are probiotics and where do you get them? Okay. We did an episode on gut health, but I think here we should just give them a quick list exactly where they can get them. And then let's tell them when they take a probiotic supplement, when to take that. Because this was really interesting to me, and I did not know this until we did our Instagram Live right after the gut episode. Exactly. We learned a lot about probiotics, like And I didn't think there was much else for us to learn about probiotics at that point. So where do you get probiotics? So you can get them from your fermented foods, um, like your refrigerated sauerkraut, not your canned on the shelf. You get them from your yogurts, your kefir, 
um, anything that has active live cultures in it. Right. So sometimes that's also cottage cheese. Mm-hmm. Some, um, not all of them. Not though. all. You gotta of them. check. Uh, uh, miso. That was the one I was oh, yeah. thinking of. Yeah. Miso. Did you say kimchi? No, I didn't. Sorry. Kimchi, kombucha. Kombucha. Oh, gosh. How could I have forgotten that? All of those are probiotic sources. Now, prebiotics are what your probiotics in your gut eat. Yes. Keep themselves alive. So you need to get prebiotics, too. And typically, those are going to be your higher fiber fruits and vegetables. Right. But there's certain ones that are higher than others, like raspberries are really good prebiotic. And things like that you might not think of, like onions, Mm -hmm. leeks, those are also good sources of prebiotics. But again, just get your vegetables in. Right. Because you're getting getting some type of prebiotic in there. Right. Exactly. Now, a supplement. We talked a lot about this on the gut health episode. Supplements, you you know, it's just kind of a stab in the dark because in order to, what what research suggests is that in order to improve your gut health, you really need to be taking the specific strain that you're needing. And we don't have a way to know that. Right. So I think I shared the one that we take in the show notes for the gut episode. Also, you can always go to my website. And if you go to the shop page, it lists all the supplements that I take. Why don't you tell them what your website is just one more time? Okay. It's Carolyn, C-A-R-O-L-Y-N, Williams, R-D.com. And you go to the shop page on her website. Yeah. But I, the, the big takeaway that... Or the best piece of advice that that I, I yes, feel like I love you this. gave, and I've been doing it all wrong, is oh no, I wasn't even going. Oh. You're you oh, give them I'm that exciting ahead. news. No, but from the the best piece of advice I feel like you gave in the gut health episode was that we need to be taking a multi strain probiotic mm. because we don't know what we need, and that's the best way to kind if to we potentially are taking get a probiotic yeah. supplement, right? Get benefits from probiotics. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, how about? What's the best time of day to take a probiotic? Doesn't even matter. Okay. We looked into this because this was a question that somebody sent us before our Instagram live. Turns out the best time to take your probiotic is 30 minutes before a meal or about three to four hours after a meal. Mm-hmm. You reason is you want those um, the stomach acid to be low. So if you take them with a meal or you take them right after a meal, well, your stomach juices are going or churning. They're being released. And those in the stomach, those digestive juices are primarily acid. So your probiotics aren't going to survive that much um, before they get down into the small intestine. And that's really where they need to get the small intestine and the large intestine. Well, and because even though it's a supplement, it's still... They're alive. Alive. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Empty stomach is the goal. Yes. I, that's something I didn't know until this. I remember the advice about if you were taking it with an antibiotic that you don't want to take it at the same time. You want a two-hour window oh, yeah. between antibiotic and probiotic, right? And so that I I knew, but not the whole part about – I just found the whole part about your stomach acid. Yeah. You know, it makes sense. Killing off more, and so fewer would make it into, you know, your yeah. lower parts of your GI. They need to be broadcasting that. There's so much nutrition that I would like to be broadcasting. I mean, that's just helpful. I mean, come on. Who's going to pick us up for some national nutrition show? <laughs> Nobody would watch it, but it's fine. All right. What other questions do we have here? Oh, I got one. They wanted me to clarify. I mentioned the RDA in an episode, maybe in one of 
the episode threes. We had a part one and part two. And I mentioned something about how the RDA may not be your optimal amount of a nutrient to take. I was probably talking about vitamin D, my favorite. But, and that somebody wanted me to clarify. So the RDA, the recommended dietary allowance, is the average daily amount that appears sufficient to meet the nutrient requirements of nearly all healthy people. And so that's, they're saying 97 to 98% of the population, this is the amount that will keep healthy people healthy. But the RDA doesn't really take into account how much you need to take to improve health or to optimize health. And this really doesn't apply to some vitamins, but some, like we were talking about with vitamin D, this might be helpful to know. So just know that with certain, you never want to go above the UL, the tolerable upper intake limit, when you're taking any kind of vitamin, mineral, supplement. Um, but with certain ones, you want to know the RDA and then look at what recommendations are, um, you know, out there and, you know, kind of find what you need. Some vitamins you don't benefit from by taking more. Well, right. But also vitamin D is a good example though, of where it appears you definitely would benefit by taking a little bit more. Exactly. And if you take a multivitamin and you look on the label, you'll see that for some vitamins and you'll see higher levels than the, like your daily recommendation is in that one. And then in that one particular pill, but then others might be really quite low. You know, that really annoys me. Why can't they just have like 80% of all the nutrients or like 75% or a hundred percent? I don't even need a hundred percent, but give me like Give me all of them, like a dose of all of them. Yeah. Equal amounts. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I like to tell myself that they don't do that because somehow they wouldn't be able to formulate the supplement correctly if they did that. But it is. It is frustrating when you see something like there's 150% of your vitamin C, but then there's only... 20% of your iron. Right. Calcium a lot of times is low. Is low. In multivitamins. Or even vitamin D can be low. Mm -hmm. Or, you know... You get, but you you get a hundred percent of your folate. Yeah, which you know, I hope there's a vitamin manufacturer out there listening. This it really, as they're packaged now, it's really not helpful. Correct. <laughs> I'm with you. And I there think, are too many options. It makes it very confusing. Yeah, I think this episode might be getting us kind of fired up. Yeah, I noticed that we skipped a question oh. earlier up uh, in our list here. What's the difference between a refined grain and a whole grain? And and I want to make sure that we cover it because I know I'm incredibly guilty in all of these podcast episodes of constantly talking about refined grains or calling them refined grains. So refined grains are white bread, white rice. They are even like the sweets that we eat that are made with white flour, right? Yeah. Whole grains are technically, they are where all parts of the grain, so like the... the um, bran and the endosperm are in the product that you're eating. So like if we went out to a wheat field and we (laughs) harvested a grain of wheat, I don't even know you can harvest just a grain of wheat. Well, in the show notes, I'm going to put a picture of me standing in a wheat field. I actually have one. You do? I do. So that little grain of wheat that we pick is going to have the outer, an outer layer called a husk. And then inside that grain is going to have the bran, the germ, and the endosperm. 
Well, they'll take off the husk, but then you've got this whole grain here that's got the germ, the bran, the endosperm. And so that would be like a brown rice, a great brown rice. Right. Or like oats that are minimally refined. Right. Now, Linless, it could be like whole wheat, or it could be used to make whole wheat flour. That they would take that whole grain, like it is, and just grind it up. Right, and so that's it why it's darker. The, yeah. But it still has all the parts. It still has all three yeah, parts. It has all three parts, even though it's ground up. Yeah. So that's still a whole. That's still a whole grain. Yeah. So with refined, they take off that husk, but they also take off the bran and the germ. Mm-hmm. And so you're just left with endosperm, and the bran and the germ are really where your fiber. Um, is a lot of your vitamins and minerals, um, even a little protein. Yep. So that's ripped off. So then you've just got the endosperm, and you grind that up to get, or you take all those layers off, and you get white rice, or you get, you can make, um, like, white flour. Right. Your, yeah, the flours for, you know, your white pasta and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. The thing about whole grains is that, or the nice part, I should say, about whole grains is that there there is an organization out there that, has a whole grain stamp that can appear on food products. Um, the other, they're not on everything though. They're not on all whole grain products, right? It, it, it's something that manufacturers and food producers have to opt into putting on their product. Yeah. So if you find a product that says whole, it's whole grain or you believe it's whole grain and it doesn't have the stamp, the it probably stamp. is. Yeah. Right. You can look at the ingredient list, which is always helpful because it will say that it's you know, whole wheat or whole grain. I tell my students to look for the word whole. Right, exactly. Whole rye, whole, you know, whatever. Or or look for, like, some of your breads and some of your products today will have, like, brown rice flour. Right. You know? Right. Just look for what you know are whole grains. But if it says wheat and there's no whole, that does not mean it's whole wheat. That just means it's wheat. Mm-hmm. Um, They're or sneaky here. if it says, like multigrain uh, that or cracked wheat or sprouted that doesn't necessarily mean it's a whole grain right you know the bread aisle has almost gotten as confusing or maybe more confusing than the cereal aisle oh yeah yeah i totally agree well there the, a big part of it i think is that there are just so many choices and it's exhausting so it's confusing the way things are labeled, but also there are just so many choices. And at some point you just reach fatigue. I mean, how many bread labels can I really read before I pick one? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Very last question. Can you all give us an exact list of what supplements you take every day? So I take a methylated B complex. B complex, when you hear the term B complex, that means, um, it is an assortment of B vitamins. Because remember, B vitamins are the ones, like you've got B1, B2, B6, folate, B12. you got a lot of them in there. Yep. So B Nine complex, yeah, yeah, combines them all in there. And I take a methylated form, which means the folate and the B12 is methylated, and it's in a form that the body can use. Also take a methylated multivitamin. I take a probiotic. Um, I take vitamin D, and I usually take 2,000 IUs a day. I, some days I take a vitamin C. Um, I don't take it every day, but I'll, I'll take a vitamin C usually. And then I'm trying to think what else. During COVID, I started doing some vitamin A and zinc, but I don't do that as much now. And again, if you want to know the specific types that I take, they are all on my website, which is carolynwilliamsrd.com. 
What about you, Barley? Did I miss something? I feel like I'm missing something. Honestly, I don't know because I know there's between you and your kids, there's a fair amount of supplements going around, but what you have your kids take is sometimes different. Did you tell them that you took an omega-3? <gasps> no, that's what I was missing. I take an omega-3. Because you don't eat and fish. And I take, because I don't eat fish, and I take 2,000 milligrams a day, and I take one that has about 60% EPA and 40% DHA, and that's really kind of the breakdown that you want to see in there. Yeah, that ratio is really important. Thank you. I knew I was forgetting yeah. something. Okay, so what do I take? I take vitamin D. Um, I take the the like dropper liquid form of it, um, and that is because I'm not very consistent about taking my supplements. So that way, I'll I'll hit like closer to like the four thousand I use in a dosage, but mm-hmm. I'll only take it a few days a week. That's a great tip if you're not regular with your supplements for vitamin D at least, is you can take a higher amount and just not take it every day. You just don't want to go over, what is it? You don't want to go over 4,000 a day, but if you're looking at it from like a week perspective, or be four times 28, you don't want to go over 28,000 IUs in a week. Right. And I mean, personally, I try to target a little bit more towards like in the one to 2,000 range, which is what we've talked about a lot. And so if you do like what, two times seven, 14,000 IU, so yeah. divide it by four and it's somewhere between three and four. Yeah, you can even get like a, I've seen a 10,000 IU like supplements. You could take like that twice a week, I guess. Yep, yep. Otherwise, I'm not overly consistent. Like during cold and flu season, I'm usually pretty solid on taking a little bit of zinc. Um, I take collagen, but I take that more for the like beauty and joint benefits, mm-hmm. not so much I've been thinking for about the mental that health. It, it, like I, I haven't looked, but I can't, I don't know of any mental health benefits yeah, of it. I haven't heard of any but mental health. hair and joints Except maybe, for sure. maybe possibly you might feel a little younger and that helps your mental health. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and then otherwise, you know, I, I do... Okay, so it's not a supplement form, but I make a really solid point in getting probiotics into my diet and my kids' diet. And so that would be in the form of um, mostly in the form of like kombucha, yogurt for one, cottage cheese for another. Um, that, you know, that's big in our house. And otherwise, do you know that's what, really it. Do you know what brand of cottage cheese you buy that has probiotics? Because I asked, I bought one the other day and I was just in a hurry and I didn't look and I got it home and it was like a major mainstream brand and yeah. it did not have didn't have it probiotic. I've done that before. So I am very very loyal to Good Culture. And okay. I'm I'm loyal to them because I cottage cheese is one of those where there's a texture and a uh-huh. consistency and a taste standpoint and I've I've tried some other brands of cottage cheese and I either don't like their their texture and their consistency or I don't like what their product tastes like with probiotics in it or you know what I mean with the live and active cultures and the one that I like consistently know that I like and my kids like is good culture and I've gotten to the point where like I'll spend the time researching like the one type of bread and then I just every time buy that that bread yeah um and I'll break it out every once in a while but like my go-to's right and so good culture okay is my go-to I was kind of mad when I got home 
I guess mad at myself for not looking at it. Yeah. And what you, you want to, it should say near the ingredient list, active live cultures on there somewhere, or it'll say lacto, blah, 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 or bacillus, blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I did start giving my kids a supplement when we started doing the podcast. Like, I've kind of dabbled in giving them, giving them like multivitamin style. And so I started adding one that had probiotics okay. in it for them. Uh, and also like just a general like multivitamin. And then more recently, because they were out, I went and I bought them the Smarty Pants brand that because that has the methylated folate in it. Mm -hmm. And it also has probiotics. So I don't know if they need the methylated version, but at this point I figure why not? Why not? Yeah. And we'll go from there. So yeah. And you're welcome, Smarty Pants, because I think we've sent you a lot of business. Yeah. And well here's the thing <laughs> is you can get it at Target. Like yeah, that's, that's what I love. You know, it, it's not like I have to do Walmart, a special Target, trip somewhere. Yeah. Like I literally was at Target stocking up on stuff and was able to get it. Yeah. You know one that I've been meaning to add, although gosh, you know, it's like how I can't add one more thing right now. But I've been meaning I need to take some calcium. Oh, for your bone health. Yeah. Because I just don't, you know, I don't really don't drink much milk anymore. Right. I do get, I do like some cheese though, but I probably could use a little calcium in there. Well, we know you're not getting it from your, uh, from your kale, huh? No, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> okay. okay. So per the usual, please find a way to message us. Um, send us, you know, DMs on Instagram, comment on Facebook. Uh, you can even sign up for our email on our website, happyeatingpodcast.com, and communicate with us that way. But we want we want to know what you want to know. We loved having the opportunity to answer some of these questions. We really never thought that people would want any type of nutrition primer, but we've gotten so many great questions. We thought, why not? Yeah, we really love y'all's questions. So please keep them coming. If you have ideas for an episode, please keep those coming as well. Bye, y'all. Thank you so much for joining us for the Happy Eating Podcast. I'm Briarly Horton. And I'm Carolyn Williams. If you liked this week's episode, then don't forget to rate and leave us a review on iTunes. And be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss a new episode. We can't wait to have you back at our table next week for a brand new episode. Bye. Bye. The contents discussed in the Happy Eating Podcast, such as advice, studies, text, graphics, images, and other material discussed or presented on the site or podcast are for informational purposes only. Content is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on the Happy Eating Podcast. If you are in crisis or think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK, that's 8255, to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. If you are located outside the United States, call your local emergency line immediately.